Well, like I said already, it is a, a joy to be in God's house tonight. And I say it often, but there's no place I'd rather be except for heaven. And uh, I'm glad for your presence tonight. Um, we're going to be in the, the book of Acts, Acts chapter 4. As we continue through this sermon series, uh, the Acts of Jesus Christ through His Apostles. And tonight we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 12, Lord willing. I believe we can get through these 12 verses anyway. Acts chapter 4. You can remain seated. I'll go ahead and read the text, and then we'll go through and expound on each verse a couple at a time, one at a time some. But uh, Acts chapter 4, starting with verse 1, the Bible says, And as they spake unto the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in hold unto the next day, for it was now eventide. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about five thousand. And it came to pass on the morrow that their rulers and elders and scribes and Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and as many as were the kindred of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, If we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole? Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is a stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Father, thank you for the reading of your word tonight. Please help me as I try to preach on this scripture, God, that you'll be glorified and we'll give you the praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we left off last week looking at the powerful preaching that Peter did and uh, uh, the miraculous healing, uh, the healing of that, uh, that man, uh, the, the lame man. And we saw that Peter did not take credit for what was done. He gave all credit to God and, uh, and he tells the people it was Jesus that, that this was done through. And uh, he even turns around and tells them that they murdered this Jesus, the one responsible for the healing of this man. And uh, he tells them uh, uh, what he told those on uh, the day of Pentecost when he preached and 3,000 were saved, that they must repent. They must repent. He said in Acts 3:19, Repent ye therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. So we pick up from that thought tonight here in chapter 4, and we're going to see that not everybody's happy about the healing of the lame man. Not everybody's happy about the preaching that's going on between these apostles. In fact, they are downright mad about it. They're grieved over it. Their, their little poor little hearts are grieved over the, the things that's going on. Look at verse 1 again. And as, as they spake unto the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. 
So here we find the butcher, the baker, and the candlestick maker. They all rush upon Peter and John. They're, they're angry over what's took place. Seriously, look at who these groups are. The priest. Uh, he, the priests are the arch enemies of Jesus. Every time you see the priests mentioned in here in the New Testament, in the Gospels, they're usually an enemy of the Lord Jesus Christ. They hated him. They hated the fact that Jesus was fulfilling the priesthood. And uh, there were numerous priests in, in that day and age. There was the high priest, the chief priest, the head priest, and, and the priest in general. So the priest of the priest, all of them were there. And uh, you first hear about priests in the book of Genesis, but it's not one of these that hate the Lord. Genesis fourteen eighteen, and Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. And so that's the first mention of a priest in the Bible. But these priests that's uh, all of a sudden here in the New Testament, we find that they are not like Melchizedek. They are not good priests of the Most High God. They're, good pri- they're bad priests of themselves. Uh, we read in First Chronicles uh, uh, chapter 23 that David separated the tribes uh, of Levi into 24 classes of priests. And that formed what they called the Levitical priesthood. And so if you were from the tribe of Levi, you were part of the Levitical priesthood. And then we find here in our text, in our opening text, the captain of the temple. Now this man's job was to maintain order and peace in the temple. He was kind of like the head security officer in the temple. And no doubt he was there to prevent some kind of riot taking place. He's seen all these people running in there on Solomon's porch and all the hubbub going on and the apostles preaching. He's probably running out there, security, security. If he'd had a, if they'd had walkie-talkies back then, he'd been all over it. He'd been calling everybody out, you know, all the, the temple uh, police. And then there, lastly, you see the Sadducees. And as my dad always said, they are sad, you see. These, uh, there were three main Jewish sects in that day, S-E-C-T-S, different groups of religious uh, people. There were the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Essenes. Now, the Pharisees were, of course, the largest of the group of all of them, and we all know about the Pharisees. Um, But the second largest of these groups was the Sadducees. Uh, The Sadducees denied the existence of angels, and uh, other spirits they denied miracles but most of all their biggest thing was they denied the resurrection of the dead they just would not accept it in fact they used to get in into scuffles there with the pharisees over that little fact but that in particular is one of the reasons the bible says there in verse 2 that they are grieved because the apostles are preaching about the resurrection of the dead through Jesus. It says, through Jesus, the resurrection from the dead. And so this has got them highly irate. And they've all come out of their lairs now. And they're grieved. Look at verse 3. And they laid hands on them and put them in hold unto the next day, for it was now eventide. Well, we know they come there at, what, was it around 3 o'clock when they first come to, pr- to pray, and they met the man, and uh, he was healed, and then they had time to go to the porch, and then uh, Peter preached, and then we see all these people are, get saved. So a lot of time has passed, and now it's getting late. It's late in the evening, getting toward nighttime or, or dark. And so uh, these uh, aggrieved people have now arrested, uh, kind of house arrest, the apostles. 
Now, they didn't really have uh, the rights of the Romans to arrest anyone, but through their system, the Romans allowed them to do such things if it was, re- if it was religious things or things that pertain to the Jews, their laws and dealings. And so they would allow uh, a little bit of things to happen, and so that's what's going on. These leaders, religious leaders, have now taken them under house, of arrest, house arrest, and it's late in the day, and so it's too late to call the Sanhedrin court into uh, session. So they're going to keep them overnight and uh, keep them locked up. Now that just goes to show you how scary it is to allow people like this to be in charge and allow, give them the leeway to be able to arrest people based off their religious thoughts. Now, listen, I truly believe this country was founded upon Christian morals and principles and it's a, a one nation under God. I, I fully believe that. However, I don't believe a religion should have charge over all the people and instructing them on how they're to behave. I think we, we live in a free society uh, because we see what happened over in England and Britain and when the church gets involved, the Roman Catholic Church was running the countries and we saw what happened. We saw the people murdered and killed and all the trials that went on out of the name of God, which we know it, it wasn't. But uh, So we don't want a religion in charge of the people, but we do want godly people in charge. Uh, there's a difference. And so it's late in the day. They're going to keep them under arrest here. And um, look at verse 4. How be it? Many of them which heard the word believed. And the number of the men was about 5,000. All right. Uh, despite the circumstances that's going on, the powerful message that Peter preached, it stirred up the conviction of these people's hearts, of these listeners here. The Bible says many of them which heard the word believed. And so a lot of people, it's really hard to understand exactly how many people were present during that time. Uh, That next phrase in that verse, verse 4 says, and the number of the men was about 5,000. Now there's a few different schools of thought on that little phrase right there that gets some people all crazy. Don't be crazy over it. Just uh, pray about it and look over it and see what how God would have you believe in this, but here Luke is stating that 5,000 men, uh, it says um, the number of the men was about 5,000. And so it, it's almost like there's a split in that uh, that verse that doesn't kind of quite go together. It's almost like there's something not quite there. Uh, it doesn't say the number of men that were saved or the number of men that were added to the church. It says the number of men was about 5,000. And so there's one group of people that's just that's saying, well, he's just talking about how many men were there. Uh, and there's another group of people that say Luke is stating 5,000 men witnessed the healing of the lame man. They ran to Solomon's porch. They heard Peter preach about Jesus. They were convicted in their hearts, and they got saved. And so now that would mean, including the 3,000 on the day of Pentecost and the 120 in the upper room, there's just a little over 8,000 people now saved. And so they believe that, that Luke is telling us that, uh, that those that heard, there were 5,000 that, that believed and got saved. Uh, the last school of thought on this, of what this could possibly be, is that Luke is giving us a grand total of how many people now are saved and belong to the church uh, thus far, starting with the 120 in the upper room, the 3,000 on the day of Pentecost, and then these many, it says many of them which heard the word believed, 
uh, many, which would be around 1,880 if it comes up to 5,000. And so some believe that that's a grand total of everyone so far that have been saved and been part of the church. Now, preachers and Bible commentators are divided on this one. I'm going to say that I, I kind of fall in that last category. I believe he's given us a, a number of all those that's been saved. Uh, you know, if you, if you believe it's 5,000 got saved at that very moment, then that's fine. I, I don't have anything against that. It very well could be. I believe one of these days we're going to get to heaven and we're, and we're going to find out we were wrong in a lot of things. And those things we don't quite understand, they'll come to light. We'll know. We'll have the mind of Christ and we'll know these things. But uh, regardless, either way, there's a lot of people that got saved. Whether it was 5,000 at that very moment or if it was 1,880 at that moment and made 5,000, it doesn't matter. It's still miraculous. It's still a great number of people that has been saved because they've heard preaching of the gospel. All right, let's look at verses 5 and 6. And it came to pass on the morrow that their rulers and elders and scribes and Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and as many as were of the kindred of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. All right, so Peter's powerful sermon has caused a real disruption here in the religious norm of the day. And so they've called out the big guns. Uh, the rulers, the elders, and the scribes. Well, then it mentions Annas. Annas was the high priest for 11 years in Jerusalem. Um, not the greatest person on, uh, in the world. And then Caiaphas, the son-in-law of Annas, who was the current high priest at the time that Luke wrote this. And he was also the one in charge during the trial and death of Jesus, by the way, Caiaphas was. And then it mentions a man named John, not the Apostle John, uh, some other John, not, not sure which one. And then an Alexander, we don't know which Alexander either. Uh, some believe he was a very rich man that had a lot of uh, influence in the high court. I don't know, the Bible doesn't tell us that. And then it mentions the kindred of the high priest. <laughs> These are very powerful relatives of the, of the high priest. And so... Uh, you know how a lot of people do when they get in charge of something, they put their family members all on the board, you know. Well, that's what's going on here. The high priest has all of his family members. These are relatives of his. He's put in place there in, in the court. And so they're all there and all their importance. And so uh, Luke provides this large list of people to us to show us it's, this was a big deal to them. It wasn't a small matter. I mean, they're going to get the court together, get all these the high priests and, and priests and all everybody together. So this is, this is a big deal. All right, look at verse 7. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, have you done this? And so they asked Peter and John the question here, and they're not going to like the answer that they're going to get. By what power, by what name have you done this? In other words... Who and what gave you the authority and the means to pull off such a thing like this? Who, who are you do, whose name are you performing these acts underneath? And so what they want to hear is maybe just God. They want to hear the name God, of course. And you can use the name God all over the world, by the way, and don't offend anybody. Because there's a lot of gods. A lot of people believe in different gods. And so you can just use God's name and, and nobody cares. But when you start saying the name Jesus, you better watch out. Because that's when people start getting offended. They get offended. And so that's what's fixing to happen here. And so, of course, they're hoping, of course, Peter and John are, are probably going to condemn themselves by saying something else. 
Maybe they've used some kind of hocus-pocus or black magic to perform these miracles. And if so, they'll arrest them and put them to death. They have every right because under the law they can be put to death for witchcraft and black magic and uh, things like that, sorcery. This, these all were unlawful and grounds for execution. So they may be hoping that something like that took place. And also, the only people that had the authority to preach and teach and deal with religious matters, especially in the temple, were the Pharisees, scribes, and Sadducees, and the priests. And so common men were not allowed to just get up and, and teach and preach. And so they are probably looking at some kind of trouble because of that. They're, not, they're really not allowed to do it. All right, look at verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel. All right, take notice that once again, the Bible mentions Peter was filled with the Holy Ghost. Filled with the Holy Ghost. He is not acting upon his own power or talking in his own words or in his own defense, but rather through the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is directing him on what to say and when to say it and, and everything about it. He is filled with the Holy Ghost. He's sensitive to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. I wonder today how many Christians are sensitive to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. I'm willing to say very few, very few. And if they ever realized or understood the Holy Spirit and how real He is in their lives, they would probably be scared to death. But we need to be sensitive to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And we can't be when we're living outside of God's will, by the way. When you're living outside of God's will and, and living your life like the world and, and uh, in sin, unrepentant sin, you can't uh, be under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. He will convict your heart and you can turn to Him and then be under the leadership of the Holy Spirit and filled with it. But until that moment, no. Now, don't get confused on that word filled, filled with the Holy Ghost. There's some denominations that, that think you have to have this second blessing or second filling or the, the filling of the Holy Ghost that comes upon you sometime after you get saved. That's not in the Bible, all right? When you get saved, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. You're baptized into the Holy Spirit at that moment. The Holy Spirit comes and lives and resides within you when you're saved. Now, you can get a filling of the Holy, Holy Spirit or Holy Ghost when you're living close to God and, and you're getting close to Him and everything. There's a, there's a little difference. But it's not this falling on the floor, rolling around and barking like a dog and all these things that you see these people say they got filled by the Holy Ghost. You don't see people in the Bible acting that way when they, get, when they have the Holy Spirit. I believe most of those people who are doing that are, are filled with demonic, <laughs> demonic spirits. You can't tell me that they're doing something that the Bible is, is blind to. I mean, the Bible has no saying of anybody getting filled with the Spirit and rolling around like a dog and barking and, and uh, all these crazy things that they do. It's not in there. And so I believe they are demonic. And uh, the Holy Spirit, uh, He has order. The Holy Spirit has order about Him. Now, you will do things out of the ordinary sometimes when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of you and, and you are sensitive to that leadership of it and you, and it's, it, you can't control it uh, when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of you. But I don't see the Holy Spirit ever in the Bible uh, telling people to jump up and down and, and uh, uh, roll around and uh, do all these crazy things that people do. Um, but anyway... <laughs> So Peter is filled with the Holy Ghost. It went a long way around to say that, didn't I? 
listen, being being under the leadership and, and sensitive to the Holy Spirit is a wonderful, great feeling. It really is. Um, when I get up to preach, sometimes I will preach, and it's almost like my mind almost turns off, and my mouth's moving, and words are coming out. And I may get in the car, and I'll tell Mary, I said, I don't even remember what I said. <laughs> And uh, the Holy Spirit will just get hold of you and start talking through you. And I'm not saying that I'm anything special. I'm I'm not. But I'm telling you, it's just a feeling like you was you just can't understand. Um, and it's not something you know that uh, you work up or um, uh, can can create or invent for yourself. It, he just he just takes control. And so it, it's a wonderful thing, and we need to be sensitive to that. Um, would to God that our, our whole lives and our conversation and everything that we do was guided by the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine what a difference this world would be? All right, look at verse 9. If we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole? Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. You talk about some uh, backbone. Peter is standing up in front of the most important people in Jewish society and looking them square in the face and telling them the truth. I mean, he says, we did this in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, and by the way, who you crucified. <laughs> I tell you what, he is uh, He's bold. He's being bold, and the only way he could do that is if he's filled with the Holy Spirit because we've seen what Peter did when he's not filled with the Holy Spirit. Remember what he did? He denied Christ. He cursed and, and all that. Three times he denied the Lord. We've seen him, how he acts outside of the Holy Spirit. This Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit, and we see him standing boldly in front of this group of men and just letting them have it. I can't even imagine what it was like to be there, knowing that these, these guys, I mean, really, they had his life in their hands. You know, if they want to, they'll make up something like they did on Jesus and have Peter killed. And so he knows what kind of people these are. And yet he stands there and he says, listen here, by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, this great thing's been done. You want to tell me you're going to deny that? And so, uh, wow, he gives it to them. You think they were grieved to begin with. <laughs> They're really grieved now. Uh, their heads are probably spinning off the top of their necks. Especially the Sadducees when it gets to that part about uh, raising uh, people from the dead. Jesus raising from the dead. Um, there he said it there in verse 10. He said, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. I bet every Sadducee in there just was like caught on fire. But one thing that uh, strikes me in reading the sermons and statements that Peter has been making in the book of Acts is Peter is a whole new man. I mean, he's a new man. Uh, he used to walk around with his foot in his mouth all the time. And uh, now he's making some of the most intelligent statements and bold proclamations of anyone ever in, that you read about in the Bible. That just shows you how a person can grow in Christ. Uh, we all need to grow in Christ. As long as we stay babes on the milk and never achieve being able to get on the meat, the, the things, the deep things of God, if we keep staying as a baby, we're never going to experience those things that we need to, that God has for us um, and, and be the kind of Christian that he wants us to be. Look at verse 11. 
This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. So now Peter does what he usually always does. He goes back and grabs the Old Testament scripture. They cannot refute that. There's nothing they can say against it when he actually goes back to what they use for their scripture and puts it right in their face and says, this is what they were talking about. This is what the prophet was talking about. And so he goes back, and even in the psalm, Psalm 118 and 22, the stone which the builders refused has become the headstone of the corner. So he's telling all these people here, this Jesus Christ of Nazareth who you crucified is the one that they were talking about in the psalms. The prophet Isaiah. He, he applies it to the coming of the Messiah, Isaiah 28 and 16. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make haste. And now he's telling them, Listen, Isaiah was talking about the Messiah. Well, Jesus is the one that he was speaking of. Jesus himself quotes the same scripture, Matthew 21, 42. And he applied it to himself. Matthew 21, 42. Jesus said unto them, Did you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? The same is become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Apostle Paul, Ephesians 2 and 20, he also states Jesus is the chief cornerstone. Ephesians 2 and 20. And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone so this is all proof that this miracle that was performed was performed under the name they said whose name whose authority did you do this well it's jesus christ the messiah the one that was that was prophesied about by our our prophets and so uh, more proof this miracle was wrought in god and through jesus christ now, these religious leaders are not going to go against God. They can't do that. If they do that, they're in big trouble. Or the teaching of the Old Testament. So Peter really has them right where he, he needs them. All right, look at verse 12. Peter goes on to say, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. What's that name he's talking about? Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He, he tells these religious leaders, these priests, these uh, Sadducees, and, and all these important people, he says, if you're going to be saved, there's only one way that you can be. And it's through that one you crucified, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He's the only way. He is uh, uh, none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. You can't be saved under David or Moses or Abraham but you can be saved under the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And listen, there's people today that don't believe that. You know, people believe that Muhammad can save them. No, he can't. Muhammad's dead. Buddha can't save you. Buddha, Buddha. Buddha's dead. Confucius, he can't save you. Confucius is dead. Joel Olstein, he can't save you. Your parents and your grandparents cannot save you. They can lead you to Christ. They can take you to church. They can tell you about their salvation, but they can't save you. There's only one name, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whereby we must be saved. 
Jesus himself makes it very clear in the Gospel of John that he's the only way to the Father. There in John chapter 14, one of my very favorite uh, places in the Bible, after they leave that, uh, that supper and they go out there and you know, he tells them, uh, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to pre- prepare a place for you, I will come again, receive you unto myself. That where I am, therefore, you may be also. And then they, they ask him, they say, well, Lord, how can we know the way? Thomas, Thomas says, how can we know the way? And Jesus says in John 14 and 6, Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And you can put a, a period right at the end of that. There's no brackets. There's no little buts. There's no clauses. There's nothing, no, no quotation marks or anything right there. He says, I am the way, the truth, and life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me, period. This must have stung that group of religious nuts that day. These men that were trusting in their good works and their keeping of the law and and all those things, their religious rituals and rites to save them. Much like the Muslims, the Jews, the Mormons, Jehovah Witnesses, all those false religions, all those groups that claim there's some other way to salvation besides Jesus Christ. There is not. All those people that believe that are lost and they are bound for hell unless they realize that Jesus is the one that saved them and turned to him for salvation, they will go to hell. We need to remember that, friends. Jesus is the only way to be saved. If you're trusting in anyone else, anything else, you're trusting in something false. You must believe in Jesus or you're headed to hell. All right, I want to stop right there. Uh, There's too much to cover for the rest of that. In the next uh, part there, we're going to see that the The religious people can't dispute what uh, Peter said, but they're very perplexed on what they're going to do. And so they make a rash decision to try to silence them, and we're going to see that that is really going to backfire on them. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, God, we come to you tonight thanking you for the message. Thank you for the uh, the, the Bible study, Lord, for each one that's here. God, I pray that your word has went out and we know it won't be returned void. God, it will accomplish that which you please. Lord, I pray that you help us as we try to glean from your word everything that we can. God, that uh, we will be sensitive to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And he will guide us in, in your word. And God, enlighten us and uh, illuminate the scripture for us. And God, we're so thankful that we do have this word. And God, we uh, pray that you be with each one on their way home tonight. Keep them safe. And Lord, bring us back here to our next appointed time, for it's in Jesus' name we pray, and amen. All right.